Welcome to the 72nd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about postmortems and how to discuss outages, both internal and external discussions. This episode was prompted in part by the global outage that Cloudflare experienced on July the 2nd, 2019, and how they messaged about it afterwards. We're also drawing a little bit upon the S3 outage from two and a bit years ago, where they did the exhaustive post on the cascading failure they suffered that took S3 out for a big chunk of the internet for a long period of time. A long time. And I also wanted to touch on, kind of tangentially related, a BGP outage that happened, what, a week or two ago? A couple weeks ago, yeah. And how different the messaging on that one is, again from the Cloudflare team, but how different how differently they message that one. And in part, this comes out of my my training, which came out of journalism school originally. And I really appreciate clear and succinct writing. It's important to me. It makes me happy inside when people are able to not get all flowery and not get tangled up in their own words and walk you through a problem quickly and concisely. I'm going to stick a link in the show notes for the Cloudflare postmortem announcement for the edge they had a couple days ago, the PR itself is less than 500 words. It, stand, it follows a lot of the standard journal, journalistic practices of being very short and to the point. It opens with the most important information. It opens with basically, this is what happened. This is how long we were out. This is why it happened. We noticed the problem, we fixed the problem. And who was impacted, which was basically everybody who uses Cloudflare on the internet. Which is, turns out, a lot of people. So I would like to interject that perhaps this uh, podcast could be our own postmortem because it turns out on July 2nd, 2019, for about 30 minutes, visitors to operations.fm were greeted with a 502 error code. And our knock was busy trying to figure out exactly what was happening to our website. So it turns out that the the specifics of the, of the issue, they had a CPU spike globally because they deployed... Um, Cloudflare, not yeah. us. Yeah, Cloudflare had a global a global outage, which impacted yes, us. Yes, we are customers of Cloudflare. Thank you, Cloudflare. And they had a CPU spike due to regex rules they had deployed across all of their software pops simultaneously. And if you're not familiar with the way regexes work, if you're doing backlooks in regular expressions, they can get really expensive really fast. And it's one of those things that if you're not aware of that kind of that class of problem, it can really bite you. Um, Coding Horror has a post from like 2004 about this, and there's a couple of other places. Like Logly has a great rundown of exactly the performance implications of doing bad regexes. So I can totally understand how a bad set of regex rules on the Cloudflare infrastructure that are applied globally can take down or eat up all of their CPU resources, effectively taking down the taking down the service. One of the common things I hear about uh, using GoLang for a programming language is that folks don't like their regex uh, library because it doesn't support any of the look-back operators because of exactly this kind of problem. Now, the on the positive side, the Cloudflare outage post covers what happened. It doesn't go super deep into the details about why it happened. It doesn't talk about the backlook operators. It doesn't talk about what, what the rule actually was. And that's probably not needed here. They, they say, hey, we had a, we had a CPU spike. We identified the problem at this time. 
we figured out how to fix the problem at this time and we were clean and clear by it this other time. They have an apology to their customers and they say basically there's no other outstanding issues. Everybody should be good now. If you're still seeing problems, those are different problems. That's not related to this outage. And we're sorry that we caused you, you know, any pain and suffering or or whatever else. So to me, this is kind of the minimum viable post public postmortem post to say, hey, this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is when it happened. It's over or it's not over. Thank you. And the transparency here is so important. And for me as a customer in Cloudflare, not only with the Operations FM website, but in other websites and clients that I work with, that transparency builds a lot of trust in myself that that Cloudflare knows what they're doing, knows the technology, knows good internal practices about how to deal with it. And And this post is really excellently written because you... Cloudflare is in the business of protecting websites. And part of what they're trying to protect is malicious JavaScript foo. And you can really tell that the exact regular expressions and exact way they're trying to protect websites is is Cloudflare's bread and butter. It's what they're good at. It's their magic sauce. So, of course, they're not going to blatantly splatter their magic sauce all over the Internet but they still did a very excellent job of explaining we pushed this web application firewall rule. It had a regular expression. It caused this problem. I know that they know that they've identified exactly what happened and are taking steps to prevent something similar from happening in the future. Additionally, the tone of the post, the tone of their their writing makes me think positively on them as a company and makes me think about the work environment there as probably being a reasonably positive one. The blame was distributed completely to Cloudflare and not, oh, there was this team that messed up there. Oh, there was this engineer that messed up. Oh, there was this person who we have fired. It is, hey, we we provide this service. We did a bad thing. And if you look through their post, there's a lot of we. And there's never a oh, the software team, or oh, the this team. It's all, we make software deployments. We were seeing unprecedented CPU, CPU load. We went to review the offending pull request, which helps to build that sense of community and engenders a feeling of respect from them towards their operations and system and staff, which makes the system and staff who are reading this and then messaging back up to their bosses feel better to say, hey, this company, they're not idiots they figured out their problem. We're back. We're clear. This isn't going to happen again. And I have faith from the way they wrote that we're okay. And Cloudflare just spent a bunch of money training up a lot of employees on exactly this type of outage. You don't want to fire those people that you just gave all that experience to. That hurts your company more than anything else. The fact that we can have a postmortem, we can continue to internally train up our teammates to be aware of these problems. The fact that Cloudflare does so in a way that encourages all of us to be aware of better practices, aware of outages, and how to avoid them. Cloudflare does a lot, I think, to not only be a successful company, but encourage the success of the entire internet ecosystem. I want to compare this post a little bit to the Amazon Web, Web Services post from February 28th, 2017. This was the S3 oh, 2017. outage. We all remember that. I think that was last time the Operations FM website was down. 
because we were yeah so they had an issue at 9 30 a.m pacific and it cascaded taking out s3 the s3 service for most of us east one for a long time it was most of that day if i remember and a lot of things get defaulted in the U.S. East 1, even though a lot of startups are in either Silicon Valley or other parts of the world. But people kind of use U.S. East 1 as the default deployment for a lot of things, including the Amazon status page, which was an important piece of their outage. If you use the Python Bodo library and don't specify a region, what does it default to? U.S. East 1. So they have... This post is about 6,000 words long. It is much denser. There are no pretty graphs. There is very little in terms of even line breaks. But they walk through everything that happened. So this is a much more complicated outage than having a, a bad regex rule that got deployed and then was pulled back. This was a, a massive... It, no data was lost, but this was a massive service outage in terms of people not being able to upload or download or view stuff that was in S3. And S3 is, is looked at as being one of the backbone services of the internet. It's always running. It's always available. It always works. People don't even, It's like air. People don't think about it anymore. And it has the reliability statistics to prove it. And that's why not only Amazon, but most companies, most websites, most people I know uh, use it as the backbone of their presence online. So this outage posting is much harder to read, partly because of the writing, partly because of the lack of line breaks, partly because of its length. But there's a lot of content in here that talks you through what happened and what failed, and importantly, which API calls were working and which ones weren't. So if you're trying to put together your timeline about, okay, my application wouldn't start because we had an unknown dependency on calling an S3 bucket. Okay, well, it it, it failed from here, here, and here. And you can look through the the S3 posting, and you can see when various APIs were turned on and off again. You can see when things should have been failing, so you can you can validate against your internal logs from when you were having an outage based on their outage. Okay, so I was doing a list, or I was doing a get, or I was doing a whatever on the buckets, and that's why this piece was failing here. So there's a lot of exceptional value in this post for other people debugging their systems. This isn't so much a show this to your CEO or CTO and get them off your back post. This is a, I'm debugging my problem. Here we go. I'm debugging my problem. Does the puzzle pieces fit in with this exact description? But yeah, this post is hard to read. I don't like reading it. Um, but is actually, other than textual formatting really, is a really good outage post as well. For a long time, this has kind of been the the de facto when I write a, a post-mortem outage report, I kind of go back to the Amazon S3 outage report and use it as a model. I think the Cloudflare ones are now better than this, but this was for a long time my de facto sort of template. Yeah, I do wish they had started out with, we had an outage from this time to this time, which was X number of minutes or X number of hours and minutes to have it more easily accessible. One of the tenets of journalism is you open with the most important information. So if the article gets cut halfway through where somebody stops reading or their their attention gets pulled somewhere else, they've already they've already ingested the most important pieces of the the text. So you always lead with a statement of this is what happened, this is how long it happened for, this is who was impacted, those kinds of things. In the first 
two sentences, three sentences. And then you go into your details about what exactly happened. And if you wanted to calculate from this post how long the outage was for you, you have to go read a lot of text and start writing down numbers and doing date math. And that's a lot more difficult. So I would not write it exactly this way. I would I would go back to the the previous post from Cloudflare and I would look at, at that as a great opening to writing yourself a public facing postmortem. You know, talking about these things, I'm really struck I'm really struck by the the problems that we're solving again because we have a different medium of web pages, blog posts, Twitter feeds. And how long, Brendan, have we been uh, publishing newspapers? How many centuries? Yeah, far too long. And there are a lot of these problems of how you present information so it's easy for humans to understand an outage report, a news story, a bombing during World War II, and how we can assimilate that information quickly and know how to react or know how to compare it to what we have on the ground. And so much of that, so much of that is the same as writing a good uh, outage postmortem. Don't reinvent the wheel. And that brings me to another Cloudflare post that is basically the polar opposite of the previous post. The On June 24th, there was a major BGP routing issue at 10.30 UTC. And... Essentially, a BGP optimizer, a BGP route optimizer went a little silly that Verizon runs and was pushing out lots of routes that were not helpful for the free transit of information on the on the Internet. And that's a, a really mangled summary. If you want more detail that's all over the Internet, you can go find it. We'll put this Cloudflare post into the show notes as well. Yeah, it was DQE Communications that was running the BGP optimizer in their network. And essentially, DQE was trying to optimize traffic flow within their own private network and trying to reiterate that the internet is a network of networks, which Cloudflare talks about in this blog, which is a really super sort of explanation of how the internet works. There's a lot in this uh, blog report that they go to great lengths to make accessible to sort of the common person and sort of explaining what BGP is and how it works and how the internet sort of fits together um, is really done really excellently in this article. But from my reading, uh, DQE leaked their uh, more specific BGP routes into Verizon and apparently Verizon didn't know what better to do than publish them to the internet. And published they did. And this forced a lot of other traffic through those routes that should that did not belong on those routes and overloaded the routers and the networks behind them, which caused major service outages for other people trying to get through to unrelated you know, properties and other unrelated sites. DQE's network was not built to handle all of the internet. And Cloudflare at this point comments that they lost about 15% of their global traffic due to this routing leak. With graphs. My problem with this post is not the fact that they're going into at length the fact that there are BGP issues and kind of what happened and how the route optimizer works and how it failed in this particular case. My problem with this is you can tell that whoever is writing this post has a bone to pick with somebody at Verizon, probably in the Verizon knock or has 
has had issues with Verizon's technical support and is not happy. And they spend a significant portion of this post saying things that are flowery and not so kind about Verizon. And I can tell and understand that they're frustrated. That's totally fine. But when you end your post with things like, we hope that major providers will follow the lead of Cloudflare, Amazon, and AT&T and validate routes. And in particular, we're looking at you, Verizon. We're still waiting on your reply. That isn't a way to engender helpful communication. It doesn't make people happy. It doesn't make people want to reach out and work with you. And if you look, you cannot find a Verizon post about this outage. So this may be a case that Cloudflare is upset that Verizon isn't posting posts, isn't posting postmortems, but it also isn't a way to encourage them to do it. I was surprised really at how much they roasted Verizon. And not to say that, not to rewrite the article or reassign fault or blame or whatever, but assigning blame itself is usually not the most helpful in these situations. In fact, we, in our internal postmodems, we train ourselves, we train our, the future people coming through our companies and clients that we work with, that assigning blame isn't the reason we're here. We're here to learn what happened and figure out how to prevent this before. And I'm also really surprised at the fact they identify each and every company that was affected with their AS number, their autonomous systems ID, which is only slightly scary. All public information. On on the one hand, it helps you identify if you are reading this and you're a network engineer, it helps you identify where those routes are. And so if this happens again and the same set of failure conditions happen. Yeah, you can compare your notes to this this blog and see, was this the problem that you affected? Yes, it was. And maybe you're a junior network engineer and you're curious about what happened. And so you start looking around and you're not really sure what an AS number is or how BGP routing really works under the covers. And so they're trying to give you enough detail here so you can kind of dig into that and look at it and understand better. Because, hey, what is your AS number? Do you have that information in your head? Do you know what the, all those pieces are? So, again, they're, they're, it goes back and forth. I, I can see good reasons on both sides, but I don't like the tone of this post. I don't like the way, as you said, it keeps on roasting Verizon over and over and over again. I really like this blog post. And I've been in the room when a buddy of mine has a problem reaches over, picks up his phone, dials 10 random digits, and calls another buddy of his at some random other non-affiliated company and says, hey, I've got this problem routing email. Are you doing X, Y, and Z? Could we work out the X, Y, and Z in ABC? And the fact that, that Cloudflare was, a, was affected by this problem didn't cause the problem had contacts at other companies that they knew they could call and could work out, are you seeing these internet routing issues? Did you do this? Can we verify that? Cloudflare is still showing me that that they have great relationships with other companies and work to the betterment of the entire internet to to solve these issues, whether they're at fault or not. But then they continue to roast Verizon, which, you know, I'm not going to reassign blame, but because you have a corporate entity that doesn't communicate and doesn't have good relationships with other people, yeah, how do you encourage that? How do you, instead of roasting them, and encourage that they work better with, with open standards in the open source community? Well, I think part of it is you build culture. 
and you build culture not just inside your team, but you build culture on the internet. And Cloudflare is doing a good job of that in terms of yes. the way they post their outages and the way they, they talk about things. They're a really bright bunch of people. And the posts they've written over the years about how they solve all kinds of issues, not just their outages, has, been, has made me really happy. The Cloudflare blog is something I read regularly. So if you are if you are at a small business or you're a medium-sized business and you're trying to understand what should I be doing here? Well, the first thing is every time you have a major incident or a major outage, you should have some form of incident review. Get people together and say, what happened? Like, when did it happen? What's the timeline on it? How could we have handled that better? Are there shorter paths next time? Is there, is there something we could have checked earlier to fix or however it is? And you should publish some kind of a after action report. And that can be for your team only. That can be up to internal management teams. That can be to customers of yours, but private. That can be on the internet like these are. And there's a bunch of different places you can go on the internet to find kind of the post-mortem incident review templates. I've stuck one in the show notes that's from PagerDuty. It's fairly reasonable. It's not perfect, but it's a good place to start from. And if you're looking for a template or you're looking for kind of a pattern to follow, you know, you want a timeline, you want to establish who was impacted, you want to establish the symptoms that person would have seen, you want to establish the, the deeper technical details of what happened and how you fixed it, estimate if there's any lingering issues, um, maybe if you have a status page, like Google has a really great status grid that they have of all their, their services, which I'll also stick in the show notes that is both a HTML grid and a JSON object that you can scrape with, you know, monitoring tools. So if you wanted to have alerts get fired at you, non, non-pageable alerts, of course, um, to tell you that, hey, you have Gmail's down or whatever it is. So when your customers call you, you know it's down. These are all good practices to be in. And I would strongly encourage everybody who's involved in incidents start working on these habits. And I would encourage our listeners to hit that uh, 30-second back button about twice and write out what Brendan just said as he basically outlined the major points you want to start with in building a postmortem report. And try to be clear in your writing. Try to, if, if there's at any point in your writing you start pronouning and you're referring to his or her or its or then or they, stop and think about, is this the clearest I could have made this? Is this the most succinct way I could have written this without being without being terse. You don't want flowery prose. You don't want value judgments. You want this thing happened at this time. People saw 502 errors. People saw lack of connectivity or sites were slow to load. We identified the issue as a failed disk in the, the array or a whatever it was. So as you dig in, as you read through the post, you get more and more detail. And it ends with hey, everything's good, we're sorry it happened, or hey, everything's good except for these two things, which are still working on, and we'll be posting about them at this specified address later, and let us know if you have problems. And you don't have to give away company-sensitive information. You can reference a regular expression without giving what the regular expression was. Yeah, and a couple hundred words. It does not have to be a 15-page peer-reviewed document. It can be four paragraphs. That just sort of covers what happened. Give your users, either being internal users, other team members, other companies, the internet at large, give them a sense that you have 
that you understood the problem, you understood why it happened, and you have mitigated those particular things so they won't happen again. Now, it may be a, well, we had, there was a hurricane and lightning hit our thing. It's like, oh, well, I guess you, you can't really stop that one from happening. You can design around parts of it, but there are some things that you can't actually fix. And you can call those out and say, due to situations beyond our control, S3 was out. Sorry. Due to the tornado that hit our data center. It's often also helpful to have these kinds of tools or these kinds of posts in a place that people are used to going. I worked at a university a number of years ago, and disclaimer, I actually worked on this tool for a while. Um, But there was a tool that they had established internally that they've been using forever now. And they post all status outages for laboratory printers and for servers and for upcoming user change events and for maintenance they're doing and for anything else that's going on in one place. So there's a clearinghouse of information that anybody can go to, anybody at the university can go to and say, hey, did anything just happen? Oh, there's a post that just got updated and people can timeline in the post and update the post and say, these things are happening, we're working on recovering or these things are happening or we're migrating users from one server to another. If you're, if you match this pattern, you may be migrated and then, hey, we've finished the migration or the migration failed, we've rolled back. So it's a place where people can go before they call the help desk, before they call the engineers that they know, before they reach out, they can check. And as long as everybody uses it, it is a very valuable tool. I cannot speak highly enough of setting up that kind of tool internally to your company, your organization. All you need is a bad blog engine to have a be able to quickly put up a log of events of this outage occurred, this issue occurred, or we're having a we're planning a future change next week on Wednesday at four PM. That was really one of the most useful tools that okay, Bridget and I worked for the same university at that time, and I have worked with so many clients after the fact that don't have anything like that internally. What was also powerful about that that tool was it was also a jump point to find documentation, common online tools for doing common repetitive tasks. For example, the the tool that you could use to go in and request more mail quota or network file system quota was linked off of the same pieces. So if you saw a post saying, hey, we're expiring this thing or we're moving this thing, and you're like, oh, well, I'm here already. I may as well check on my quota. Oh, I need to get more space for this thing. You could just do it. And it was all wrapped in the same authentication layer. It was all wrapped in the same interface. So it was easy to move about inside that system. There have been so many times where I I want to give my client a tool that does X and that kind of leads toward a web interface. So anyone can go in and click and say, I want a new foobar. I want a new widget. Or this service is migrating over here. You'll need this tool to perform the migration and i miss having that that tool in my toolkit a lot i think that about wraps us up here i want to reiterate again that this is all a culture thing this is building a culture of doing the right kind of thing with the right tools and communicating with other people one of the the habits that i've seen especially in junior engineers is a hesitation to share when there are problems, a hesitation to post about something that was negative, seemingly thinking that by talking about a negative thing, 
that's going to come back and visit them and be more negative for them. And conversely, if you talk about the negative thing in a constructive way, it demonstrates to people that you understood what happened and how not to get bitten by it again. And it's scary. It's so scary in the beginning, but you got to do it because that's what builds the culture. That's what builds the the teamwork and the, the team frameworks that allow you to function in more than just internet janitor levels, which is kind of the, the old joke about we just, you know, keep mop the floors and keep the internet running. But it it allows it allows people to move out of being just the junior engineer who's who's poking the buttons. You learn more from failure than from success. It's not the way we think we want to go about our lives, but that outage report that hey, when I first joined one of my clients, I accidentally deleted most of their servers in AWS. Oops. Being able to discuss those things and reach out for help and get problems taken care of and point out those things is incredibly valuable. Um, Being that I do so much work with metrics and monitoring, I'm really interested in the feedback from my users. And sometimes I find that it's kind of really hard to get that feedback. And I'm so immersed in the specific tool that I'm not always seeing things clearly as I should either. So having somebody come up and say, hey, I was trying to write some Prometheus recording rules and I got really confused about what I should have and what I should go about, insert some more detail here, that's really helpful for me, not only in that I can offer some advice, but I can take that user report I can perhaps combine it with some other user reports and publish some more general guidance for the entire company that would solve this in a more broader way, perhaps provide better templates or something that we can do as a team that affects the entire company and makes everyone's lives just a little bit easier. And in that vein of feedback, please take the time to rate this show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you would like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for the 72nd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely.